full spoilers. We're going to talk about Sharp Objects. Totally incredible full spoilers. A An eight-episode miniseries of a Gillian Flynn? Is that her Correct. Name? Gillian Flynn book. And that's book. the correct pronunciation. Yes, not Gillian. Um, Gillian Flynn book that actually she wrote before... Um, Gone Girl, if I understand correctly. Have you seen Gone Girl? I have not. Okay. Um, I I I know the plot, and I really just we have talked no about this in, yeah, yeah. in seeing it. But we talked about this. Um, and you know what? I have even less interest in seeing it after watching Sharp Objects because I don't think a two and a half hour movie is the right medium for these crazy <laughs> stories like this. Like I really feel like this eight episode miniseries was probably the perfect way to bring this story out maybe that's because i'm so in love with tv shows now and like i i prefer to watch an eight episode tv show than go to a two and a half hour movie i don't know what that says about me but um i'm even less interested in seeing gone girl now and I, i really have no desire to see it anyway but um that's what she's more famous for right is is gone girl but that was a book she wrote after sharp objects so this from what i understand this took a long time for her to finally get someone to pick it up and and do an an adaptation of it and i don't know if they could have found a better fit than hbo (laughs) and amy adams right gun girl is a really good movie i recommend it and i think it i think it fits actually i listened to a podcast on gun girl the, the overdue podcast and it's actually about books. And so they recorded this Overdue Gone like, Girl podcast in, like the library. in 2014. I think, um, no, it was after the, after the movie came out. And so they talked about the book, but then one of them had seen the movie. And he actually thought, I, I obviously haven't read the book. Um, he actually thought that the movie did a little bit better job than the book. Like the book had a little bit too much filler and the movie necessarily had to take it out. Like it was kind of a rare, a rare occurrence of you know, some filler that got taken out that wasn't a negative having been taken out, but that's, that's gone girl. Um, I, I think it's, it's crazy to me. I don't know. Hey, let me just set the stage real quick. It. Go for it. Just in case you haven't heard anything about this show. And I've, I've talked to several people recently who have not heard a thing about it. And so this is the way I've been describing it to them. This is my pitch. So I'm going right. to, I'm going to pitch it here. Um, it's, like a, a murder mystery, right? It's a, about this reporter who lives in St. Louis who gets assigned to go back to her hometown because there was a teenage girl murdered um, and then another teenage girl has recently been kidnapped. So you've got that whole who done it aspect. But then it's really a horribly messed up family drama and like a character study of things that don't get dealt with and how they just get passed down generationally. And so it's like murder mystery plus incredibly screwed up dysfunctional family drama. That's how I've been pitching it to people because I don't want to, I don't want to give away too much too early. Is that a fair way to pitch it? It is. I think you're almost understating how much this murder mystery is not about the murder mystery. Yeah, it really takes a backseat most that, of the show. Very, it was almost it until was, the last minute. <laughs> it was annoying to me on some level during some of the episodes that it just felt like we're never going to find out anything about 
what they introduced this story as. Yeah. To me, it was almost like you say it's murder mystery plus the family drama. And to me, it was almost like murder mystery minus murder mystery plus family drama. Yeah. So that it just became about the family drama. Now, that was that was that was only ostensibly because it turns out that the family drama isn't was all the heck about the murder a mystery. A murder mystery, yes. And so that that's the that's the that's the twist like within the twist and even of it all even a murder mystery that wasn't the original murder mystery that brought Camille back home because there's a right. whole other murder mystery that kind of pops up towards the end as well and that to me was i really didn't realize it until it was episode five or six and i watched these i don't know how you watched them but you watched them i watched week them by week yeah right? every sunday night so i watched the first one and i watched uh, I fell asleep about 45 minutes into the first one. This is the end of a long day and I fell asleep. And so I went back and rewatched the first one because I, I really liked it, but I, I knew that I had missed out on some stuff and I knew that there was a lot of stuff show I've missed out on if you weren't paying every bit of attention to yeah, it. Yeah, and let's just let's just throw that out at the, the start here. This is a show you have to intently watch because it is one of the most heavily edited shows I think I've ever, ever seen yeah. in, in terms of jump cuts and just flashes of imagery and jump cuts is only i know i know what you mean there but when you say jump cuts in a traditional sense like this is not what you think of because it's there's a whole like there's no time travel in the show technically but there might as well be yeah and I guess the well, I take that back. The opening like, scenes are perfect there, example there, of there it. There kind of is some, yeah. right? And, and and it's not really time travel. That's the wrong way to put it. It's it's uh, it's memories, memories flashes of memories in the present. Yeah, you know that's that sort of thing. So there is a whole lot of that, and especially like some of those scenes, like one particularly in that last episode, where they're almost like spliced together. It's almost like Photoshop of past and present, and it makes it look like they're coexisting um when when she's on the ground with her younger self. oh yeah yeah just those those sort of things where even like when she's driving and just see stuff that you know would have been from the from the past and that sort of thing um really really wild and there's just so much like in the background and like scrawled words on train cabooses and <laughs> or a log or a log or her body obviously yes. or even i mean just like in the in the wood grain of the floor there'd be something and i mean just wild place like i mean there were times when i need to go back and read the the vulture article do you ever read the vulture article um it started with episode one and then i think they chronicled it episode by episode they would add to it all the different words that were in the background and that were were revealed um, and always one of them was the title of the episode, of and, course. And let's just talk about that for a second, because as you find out, I think at the, at the end of episode one is when she, she gets in the bath right. and you, so what you that's, find, that's when, that's when you see the, whatever the vanish. episode title is. Yeah. Thank you. So what you find out about Camille is that she, I mean, from the outset, you get that something is not right. You know, something has happened recently, even with her, that this editor is, First of all, her editor is like, I love him, but he might as well just sent her straight into a buzzsaw. So that is true in such an interesting way of kind of all the characters. And to me, this is the really interesting part of Amy Adams being an incredible portrayer of this role 
is that Amy Adams to me is a really likable. It's like, she seems like a really likable person and she's an incredible actress. Now, you know, maybe you think she's a monster, <laughs> but why would from, I think she's a monster <laughs> from, from old arrival? Did you even see Oh, that, well, you? yeah, I, I don't know. You should see Arrival. Arrival is great. About that. Arrival, is, Arrival is excellent. I will tell you right now, I'm never going to watch that movie. You don't have to watch Arrival, but you, it, it's a great movie. Um, so, But Amy Adams is just such a great actor, and you just naturally, like, if Scarlett Johansson played this role, you could very easily naturally root against her. That's just that's just the first one that you comes want, to mind. You want good things to happen for her. She's she's not like she seems just like a sincere person who's trying her best and has had just the hardest freaking time with her life. And she's just still trying her best and drinking a lot of alcohol. But, but in episode one, you don't really know exactly what's happened to her. But I feel because she's Amy Adams that you just feel like it can't be her fault. It's everybody else's fault. She's Amy freaking Adams and I'm rooting for her. Right. <laughs> that's a good point. She's the protagonist. And we, that, that's the thing is even no matter who, no matter who takes the role, we naturally root for the protagonist. It's so interesting that, I mean, it's kind of this part of like history being told by the winners, you know, and, and I'm trying to think of, of any movie so far. Like, I mean, it's going to be interesting when Venom comes out because when you tell the story, whatever perspective you tell the story from, like there's almost an inherent rooting interest to it. It's kind of like if you go into a, into a football stadium and you just, you're there to watch a football game and you don't care which team wins, well, you're just going to root for the home team because that's just like, you're going to join with everybody and root for the home team. I guess I'm too contrarian. Unless, unless, you know, (laughs) unless you go the other way, but really if you're you're just totally neutral and you go with some buddies, you're just going to root for the team that they're rooting for because why not? Yeah. Or you could, you know, come to piss people off and do it that way. So as when well. you when you first meet Camille, um, you know, you can tell something something's not quite right with with her and just her situation, right? But you don't really know what's going on, and that that kind of becomes the, you know, you talked about earlier. The mechanism to get her back home is the murder mystery with the you know the two teen girls. Um, but really the core mystery of the show is what happened to Camille and why is she the way she is? Like what, what created this situation? Like what horrible things must have happened to her? Because you, as you said, you know, like you love Amy Adams, so she it can't, it can't all be her. Right. Um, so you s- slowly start to find out more and more about the environment that created Camille. Right. Well, and there's, there's this constant back and forth. I mean, there's a whole lot of juxtapositions to be had here. One of the ones that is highlighted so often is that like she, like one of the reasons that she's kind of looked down upon by this town is because she left. Right. Because she's like, she got away. She got away to St. Louis. And yet like she didn't get away to anywhere. (laughs) She, she has not ever left this place. Right. So it's crazy to me that they, it's almost like, and, and, and her mom's uh friend who I'm blanking on uh, her name and I put friend in quotation marks <laughs> right, as well. Yeah. Uh, um, you're, you're talking about, um, I'm looking on the Natalie or Jackie O'Neill, like, Jackie Elizabeth O'Neil. Perkins. Elizabeth. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they're not really friends. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> well, like nobody in this town is, Yeah, but she very much feels to me like, listen, 
you live in this town, you take on the baggage of this town, and you just accept that and become part of part of the town. That's what the town is. Don't I, don't go leaving and taking your baggage elsewhere. Like that's just ruining the world. Just keep staying in our town, ruin our town individually, and that's what we do. Like that's what Wingap does. You still live in the same town that you grew up in. It's true. And the town that you live in is not a small town. I mean, it's not a huge metropolis by any means, but compared to where I grew up, I definitely grew up in a small town compared to the size of where we live now. Right. right? Um, we're talking, what, like eight times bigger, maybe? Or, yes. And I can relate to the show on so many levels just from that standpoint of when I go back home, I kind of feel like Camille. <laughs> like, I just kind of feel like, you know, and, and I don't want to speak negatively about where I came from, but like, I, I don't want to live there. Like I, I have no desire to ever go back and live there and I still have family there. Um, but you know, I just now granted, I don't have any traumatic events in my, my, my past, like, like Camille does with this town, but I can relate to it on that level of, I got out, I'm not going back like this is it's just not this is not where I would want to be. Now, what we learn about Camille in episode one is that she is a is a cutter, right? She has a history, a long sorted history of self-harm for a significant amount of time. And what they hint at in this first episode when when you meet the editor who sends her is that she it kind of sounds like she's come out of what you assume to be some type of rehab recently because he's like trying to get her, you know, like back in the saddle. Hey, this is a big story. You know, this, you can make a name for yourself. He, you can tell he's trying to, you know, spur her on and kind of help her out of this recent whatever happened. Yeah. In large part, you know, he sees, he just sees potential in her, but sees that it's, it's un it's untapped. And for a number of reasons, but almost just feels like if you can confront those reasons it's untapped, maybe that's the way it can come out. And he ends up being right. Yeah. I mean, to if we want to give this credit, the, the piece he reads at the end from her is great. I mean, it's incredible. It is. I, I kind of, well, well, we'll get to it, but I kind of wonder, yeah, at the very end, she does seem to be in a much better place, but then at the very, very end, I kind of wonder you know, with what happens at the very end, where she ends up after that. Oh, yeah. But um, well, well, he was gambling the whole time <laughs> and the odds were not in his favor. No, not at all. And he ends up being kind of a kind of a hero, which from what I understand was a, a difference from the book, because he ends up being one of the people that helps rescue her mm-hmm. at, at the end when she's all, uh, you know, poisoned up, uh, which that doesn't happen in the book. Um, so we learned that she's but a she cutter. doesn't get poisoned. Or that he well, she does get poisoned, okay. but he, she, he's not the one that comes in and gotcha. rescues her. Um, so we, I was like, that would be a completely different. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she didn't get poisoned at all. No. Um, we find out that she very much self harm, self harmer, you know, and this is an interesting challenge that the show had as opposed to the book, because they didn't, they didn't tell the show from like, a first person standpoint. They didn't use voiceover to get inside of Camille's head. And so in the book, one of the things that they would do is that she would feel certain words. She's basically carved words all over her body, except, you know, even all the way down to like her wrists. Mm -hmm. She has to wear long sleeve clothing all the time, pants and, you know, to, to hide it. 
but in the book, these words, she would feel them like burn and, and they couldn't really do that in the show. And so what they did, and you've, you've talked about it a little already is they would actually impose words onto physical objects in the show and make that internal external. Yeah. And, and that was supposed to be the same, the same thing of her feeling those words in the book, which right. you couldn't obviously, you couldn't really show that as much in a story like this without having some type of voiceover. But I mm-hmm. thought that was really cool because it was such an interesting way to bring that piece of the book into the show. And they did it just all over <laughs> every yeah. episode, right? And, and all kinds of different objects. And sometimes it would be on, on her body, but a lot of times, I'd say probably more times it was, mm-hmm. you know, she'd see words and, and not only was she seeing words, but she would see peop- different people. And it, it really came down to two people, right? One of them we find out very easily because we see in flashbacks is that she had a younger sister named Marion. And you find out, I think in that first episode, that she dies at a young age with some you know, mysterious illness. They don't really ever dive into what the illness was for good reason, because it comes back up later. Um, so you, she sees her all the time, but then she also starts seeing this other girl too when she has these flashes, which I'm just going to say, I've never watched a show that was more visually horrifying and just put me on edge more than this show. And a lot of the times it was just these quick flashes, right? Where they, she would see these girls in situations where they're obviously not there. And it wasn't like an over the top, you know, gory thing. Sometimes it was a little gory because one of them would have like, you know, blood coming out of her mouth. Um, But it was always so quick and, just so disturbing. Like, I mean, it really like talking about it right now, kind of puts me on edge. This is probably the, the most uneasy, like give, gave me the most feeling of uneasiness of anything I've ever watched. I think it's really interesting because that the cut that they use, which is this like half second, like maybe even not a half second blinking. You miss it. Probably. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Which, which I would sometimes be like, oh, I just got like the last half of that. Um, and it became more and more subtle towards the end of the the, the series because yeah. there'd be times where they would like shut a door and there'd be a mirror. And I mean, it, they weren't like shoving it in your face. And so that was that's also what made it interesting is you really had to pay attention to to pick up on some of these. Yes. And it's interesting to me that like that sort of flash cut or whatever whatever it may be called is is used used liberally in like straight up horror movies yeah but it's always of like the monster right or the ghost or you know the capturing thing or whatever it is you know it's this flash cut of that and so to me like that's where that's where like the incredible suspense and uneasiness comes from even though what they were flashing was not always right uh, they not, weren't the monsters. No. The monsters were still alive. Like sometimes all, all they flashed was just like Amy Adams when she was a teenager roller yeah. skating, right? Yeah. Uh, they would flash like train tracks, which are uneasy. The, <laughs> but, the, the one that got me the most, I think it was at the end of episode six, maybe. It, it's the episode where her and uh, Emma go to the, go partying all night and... Which we're oh gonna boy. talk. We're gonna talk about Emma in just a second. Oh boy! <laughs> Speaking of horrifying, um, 
but the at the end of that episode when she finally gets up to the bed and like the hand reaches out to her and it's her sister yeah. and she says you're not safe here yeah and then it just cuts to which another side note they did such an amazing job with music on this show oh my gosh <laughs> it's great but that was that was the scene that just unsettled me the most out of all the all the different scenes there were so many things to talk about with the show because like we just talked about the music the opening titles had different music every time except for the first and the last were the same song um which reminded me a lot of the leftovers season two mm. which i really just filled my heart with warmth because oh, it's a great season of a great show. It was really neat, though. That I mean, the titles didn't change at all. No, like the yeah. visuals didn't change, but yeah. just the music would be different. And then music is a really big part of Camille's story because we mentioned one of the girls that she keeps seeing in the flashes is her younger sister. Another girl that she keeps seeing in these flashes is um, basically her her roommate when she was in rehab this last time, which I'm assuming couldn't have been that far from when this show started. I mean, I, you never really get a good yeah. sense of that, but it couldn't have been like years between. It seemed more yeah, like maybe a few months. I never caught, I mean, obviously it was, obviously it was in the realm of recent because when Richard from Kansas city goes to get record, detective Dick, like, you know, they haven't forgotten her yeah. lick, you know? Right. So, and, and so, this girl, she's roommates with Camille in this this rehab center. Mm-hmm. She's also a cutter. Um, and so much of the story for Camille throughout is her relationship with her sisters, right? And so her real sister, her real younger sister, uh, her relationship with Emma, which again, we'll talk about Emma in a second. And then her relationship with this roommate who is kind of a proxy sister relationship. Um, and through flashes. I don't remember exactly. Maybe episode three or four, you finally get the full story, but basically this girl kind of looks up to Camille and, and they realize they have, you know, you know, similar problems. And in one of the episodes, this girl asks, I think her name's Alice in the, in the show, ask Camille, you know, like, does it ever get better? You know, like dealing with your family and all this stuff. And Camille basically tells her no, like she's very honest with her, but like you, it doesn't get better, but you just get through it. And, um, that obviously wasn't the right thing to say to this girl in that moment. She ends up committing suicide and, and that's why she keeps seeing flashes of her. But she also, you come to find out that this girl, her and Camille would listen to music on her iPod touch, I guess I'm assuming it's kind of look like an iPod touch, um, as kind of like a getaway. And Camille has that iPod touch. It's got, you know, it's kind of shattered. Um, but throughout the show, she's listening to it. She finally throws it out the window at, at one point, which you assume this isn't the first time she's thrown it out the window because it was already shattered. Um, and she's, you know, trying to get rid of her ghost, but she just can't ever really let go of those ghosts. Cause the very next episode, she ends up going out and, and finding it in the grass. And that's, that's another theme of this show is, the more you find out about Camille and her relationship with her mother, who we haven't even talked about Adora yet. Um, you start to understand that this is a generational problem and even in the town as a whole, but specifically with Adora and Camille and Emma, and then even 
with Adora's mom. She's just kind of briefly mentioned a few times, but apparently she was kind of cracked out and awful to Adora as well. So mm-hmm. you can kind of see the step down, right? And how this these problems just kept getting handed down um, and no one ever really dealt with them until... I guess this this story here. Are they so? Are, let's talk about. Are a, they dealt with at all? I mean, I feel like Camille does kind of deal with her stuff. Now we'll get to the very very end. But do you see that they said that they don't anticipate a season two? Oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have. Would did you expect one? I wouldn't have expected one because so I, I saw this flyby before I finished, so I didn't really know should I expect one or not. Thinking about it at this point. Um, no, I mean, not necessarily. I mean, the the story's done in terms of what they cover from the book. So anything they would do at this point would be, you know, it would be new, new, brand new material. Mm -hmm. It'd be like a Game of Thrones situation, I guess. Um, yeah, I didn't, I, I, I'm not expecting one. I think it's a pretty perfectly contained story and I don't know what much more there would be to tell. I mean, it would be nice to have some type of epilogue where you kind of see where people end up and the, the consequences because you don't really get that the way it ends. Um, you know, we'll, we'll dive into that, but it would be nice to have some kind of epilogue like that, but not, you know, not a full additional eight episodes worth of story. So let's talk about Adora and Emma. These are Camille's mother and her, uh, young, another younger half sister who apparently, I mean, the, the vibe I get is that Emma was born after Camille left, like that's how I kind of read it. Like she grew up, she left, and then Adora and is his name Henry? I always forget what his name is. Alan. Alan. Oh, his real name's Henry. Oh. Yeah, Alan is. Yeah. Well, yeah. The There's only thing. So much that, to talk about. I mean, the only thing that you can say for Alan is that I feel like he has good taste in music. <laughs> but that's that's only that's only because some of the lyrics that he puts on. I don't know if he knows it. Oh, uh, yeah. But he's I think just he knows calling it. people out. Usually himself. In fact, there's an incredible moment in episode six where... To uh, where he's reading the Bible? Where he's reading the Bible. And uh, what's the... Uh, Adora comes in and says, hey, basically, like, you didn't, you didn't get her to move her car. And what is on... That he just put on is call me irresponsible, <laughs> call me unreliable, and I just had to give it up for that because that's incredible. Well, I even think I read. I didn't actually verify this, but I think someone was breaking down the you know the verses he was reading, and it was yeah. something about you know someone who stands by and does nothing when they yeah. know something wrong's going on. So he, that's it, man. Yeah, we're gonna. We're, I feel like we need to set the ground work a little bit and then we can kind of dive into all three. So Adora, she had Camille and she had Marion, which all three of her daughters were had by different men. You never really find out hardly anything about Camille's father. He's, he's briefly mentioned, but never by name. So you don't actually know who her, who her father is. Um, and even I think Marion wasn't, Henry or not Henry Allen's child. I don't think. Um, and then really it's just Allen, Emma and Adora. So Emma's Camille's younger sister. She's like, 
I don't know what what grade do you think she's in? Maybe like a junior or sophomore or something. Yeah, um, teenager. Um, and she, Emma plays two roles, right? She plays the role that you see uh, that Camille sees out in town of, you know, kind of. Uh, she wears different clothing. Than when she's at home, right? Well, when she's at home, she's kind of dressed up like a doll for Adora. And then when she's not at home, she's in more of, you know, standard teenage fair. Well, it's really interesting because we meet Emma when Camille comes into town. And we don't even really know at that point that they're siblings. And, and I, I will say, I mean, this is a little bit separate from the point, but... I'm really looking forward to rewatching this. Yeah. I want to watch it again too. Because I I feel I'm trying to I was trying to I'm trying to think why I feel a lot more drawn to rewatch this than it's because than it, Westworld, for no, instance. No, 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 or, no. I don't know why you're separating them because it's exactly the same scenario. See, I it isn't for me, and I'm trying to figure out why. I'll tell you why it's the same. It's because at the very end you get a big revelation and Basically, everything that you watched up to that point, unless you suspected that this person was the killer, then everything you thought you saw up into that point was wrong. Like you just read it wrong. You just weren't picking up on it. Right. And so you have an opportunity now to go back and everything's going to be so much richer because you're going to see all the little hints that they dropped along the way to really clue in who the who the actual killer was of these of these girls, right? Yeah, I guess I feel like I feel like to its credit, there's a lot less going on in Sharp Objects than Westworld. And so I feel like it's going to be easier on a second watch to make those connections without having to just keep all this canon yeah. in your head yeah. all at once. That's true. And, and so it I, is a I lot sh- I, it's, it's a shorter. More, it's a more accessible a little bit. It's a more accessible rewatch to really glean something from quickly and, and, and relatively easy, I foresee. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting. And I don't, I'm trying to remember if it, if it comes out that Camille knows that. That's her sister. That's Emma. I think she does know that that's her sister. I don't, I'm not sure that Emma knows that that's Camille until they meet up at the house later. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you, you, you quickly see that Emma is very, is a very different person at home than she is out in the world, right? She plays one role for her mother, Adora, and she plays a completely different role for everyone else in the town. And especially the way she plays it for Camille, because it's like when Camille comes in, she, she's been told all her life that Camille is dangerous and, and, you know, Adora has very different feelings for Camille than she has for Emma. Uh, and, and so I think Camille is this, this draw for Emma where she, she sees, Oh, you can get out of here. You know, you can't escape this house and this town. And, and she's just really naturally drawn to Camille and Camille is, is drawn to Emma as well because she wants, she so desperately wants that relationship that she had with her sister when she was a kid. And you see how that played out. I mean, her death just 
wrecks her, right? There's other things that happen to Camille um, that also, and this, I don't know how, how deep we want to go into this. So I was kind of curious, like, was it, was it the death of her sister or, you know, you come to find out later through this really creepy shack um, and some, something really horrible happened to Camille there. Although she doesn't really frame it that way. I don't know if that's just a coping mechanism for her. Um, she basic she's, she's raped right at, at this out in the woods at this shack, which kind of comes into play later. Cause the girls and ammo would play there too. Although it's it, really kind of a red herring. The, it the is. Shack itself. And it really, to me, like I thought, I thought that that shack was coming to like, a point where it was really going to be explained when yeah. Amma runs off to it during Calhoun day. And then Camille goes and finds her and brings her back from there. And and then like, it's just never, I don't think it was ever involved again. Like I that, think that, that was the end. I think that one of the, of the murders happened close to the shack. Yeah. So they go, they go find, um, I can't remember how that, yeah, this is like where the, where the, the first girl, the girl that already was been found killed, when she comes yeah. to town was was killed and found and so i guess it's kind of but it, it's more of a red herring than anything because when you see this creepy shack you think oh my god what like what horrible things have happened here yeah and what horrible things have happened here to camille because it kind of seems like it's this uh you know landmark for her as well and, and you come to find out she was raped close to that shack by other you know boys in, in town and that's a whole separate thing that's they don't spend a lot of time on it in the show and i i'd be interested to see how much of an impact it was in the book i, yeah. I don't really know because they kind of frame it in a way that in and camille even has this conversation with one of the the people that you know did this to her several years later of well, even the conversation she has with the, the detective, she she kind of frames it like it wasn't rape. And I mean, but the show makes it seem like it was. And so that's right. a whole that's a whole interesting thing that obviously Camille has these defense mechanisms in place where she she basically can hide when the in these situations and reframe them. I, I don't know, like it's it does lend some insight even more so into these are the situations that help create her. Well, it definitely, so it reminds me of the, the really creepy and disturbed way that Emma describes it, which is like when you, something about like when you let them do what they want, like you're really controlling. Yeah. You have the them, power over them. Right. Which, and then they like you and to some like, extent is probably true, I guess. I, I don't know. I, in a, in a very disturbed, yeah. perverted way of, of the whole, the whole thing. I, I, I mean, I don't think so, but Emma, let, let me just say this about Emma. No single character in any show has terrified me more than Emma. I was terrified of her very early on because first of all, I'm like, is this what real teenagers are like? Because my teenage experience was nothing like this. Um, she's, she's terrifying. And the more you learn about her and the more you learn about Camille and the more you learn about Adora, it all starts to make sense, right? They both were came out of this 
just dysfunctional mother situation, right? And they each have their own problems, but it's almost like Camille, by the end, she's the most normal one out of all of them, which is saying a lot because she's really messed up too. But but she's the only one that really has a chance at at some kind of life after all is said and done. And I don't know what that says about this story in general that, I mean, cause she's a very broken person. She's somewhat less broken by the end, but you know, she still has her, her demons that, that she's dealing with. But Emma is terrifying. <laughs> she scares me so much. I think it's mostly that I'm just, I'm really mortified to think that this is how a lot of teenagers behave. I don't know. I mean, like the first, I felt like the whole show for me and I don't know, I can, I, I just, I, I root for people. I try to find. I'm the, right there the with good, you. Good part of folks. And I'd say like first four episodes, I don't think I finished saying what I was saying, but I watched the first episode. I rewatched the first episode. And right after I rewatched, rewatched the first episode, I watched the second and third episode because they were already available. And then uh, I watched the fourth and fifth episode back to back. And then I watched the sixth, seventh and eighth episode. Although I did watch the sixth episode right up to the point and then had to go run an errand. And the point at which I stopped it is when Camille has just come to the door with all the teenagers in the room. And I was like, this has been kind of a crazy episode so far. Well, finish it, it later. It gets crazier, yeah. My goodness, was that last 15 minutes not the craziest episode of the whole thing that I saw? Yeah. <laughs> Just insane. But So I'm, I'm right there with you, right? I want Camille to succeed, right? But see, I felt that way for Emma these first few episodes. I, I never felt that way for Emma. I, I really had this feeling. And then, like, double down on that feeling at, in the middle of episode eight. And then like triple backed on that feeling at the end of episode eight. <laughs> but I really had this feeling probably the first half, the first like four to five episodes that listen, like she's just like, like this, the strings are so tied at home and she's like trying to just like, you just thought she was not get like she could like, yes, you know, just that she was, it was almost like she had to be so extremely uh, kept up at yeah. home that it's like, you're not just going to then flip a switch and go just slightly crazy outside of home. Like you're going to have to really, full on like you're going to be so unbalanced at home that you're going to be so unbalanced the other way. Like a pendulum is going to swing yeah. so far. Cause when you, when you pull a pendulum that, that far up and let it go, it's going to go way far up the other side as well. That's just physics. So, <laughs> so that's that, like, that's what I felt from Emma, you know, especially early on when it was just like being out late and you know, you know, drinking young and just like laughing and just causing a scene throughout the town. But like no one was getting hurt, you know, I mean, well, that we, knew we didn't, of. we didn't know of it. Yeah. But you know, it was just kind of just being, you know, being stupid teenagers and, and, and doing it just a little more extreme because of how buttoned up she had to be at home. I can't really pinpoint where episode six, no, because it was before then. No, I know it was for you, but for me. I can't really pinpoint exactly what it was that it might have been when she uh, went out to the to the pig farm and was like being really creepy there. That was creepy. I, or it might have been when she was, you know, calling jo uh, John Keene a, 
baby killer or what, which we haven't even talked about John Keene. So he ends up being like the prime suspect because, or one of the suspects because his sister is the second victim who they find, I think at the end of episode one, mm-hmm. um, somewhere uh, around there. I, two. Okay. I, I, I can't remember exactly when, but I can't remember <laughs> when it was with her that all of what you said is true, right? You could totally read it that way of she is just swinging so far the other way when she's not at home, but there was just something nefarious about her that I couldn't, I couldn't quite pinpoint. Now I will say, well, I'll get to that later. Cause I don't want to, don't want to get to that point yet. Um, Speaking of swinging so far the other way, I was just reading the Wikipedia page for sharp objects. And, uh, it turns out that Gillian Flynn at the time that she was writing sharp objects in 2007 was also a reporter for entertainment weekly. Wow. So she, she talked in this interview that, uh, it was a little, a little bit of a sharp contrast, the two different types of writing that she would do between the day and the night. Yes. Yeah. That, that, that is a, that is a wide swing there. Um, but there was just something about her that I just, I, 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 so Liz was watching the show. So every Monday we would come in and we would talk about it. And very early on, I want to say episode three, maybe I was, I wanted so badly for Camille to have a happy ending, but I just couldn't see any way that she would just all the things that had happened to her, the more that we kept learning about her. And this was before we even found out all the stuff with Adora. I just felt like there was no way this was going to end well for her. Um, and surprisingly, it kind of, kind of ends better than I thought it would for her. We'll get to that, but I just, I've, I felt so defeated for her that I was at a certain point. I was just like, they just need to put all of these people in that beautiful house and just set it on fire. Like there, there's just no hope. And, and I to hate me, the feeling that way. Like that's the feeling of Elizabeth. It's just like, this is our town. We screw each other up. Every last one of us. <laughs> and our job is to just keep it in the town and only screw one another up and not go off to psychiatric facilities in St. Louis and screw other people up. Mm. Yeah. It's an interesting take. I didn't, uh, I didn't really see that with her, but she has her reasons for feeling guilty uh, as well. That's an interesting way to view her though. I mean, it certainly is. I mean, basically everyone that stayed there, it's kind of the pact that they've signed up for, right? I mean, why else would you stay there? Well, and so much of it too. I mean, I didn't think about this until right now, as far as like why you stay there. I mean, the main, uh, I mean, if you have a job there, which most likely is it the, the plant, that Adora owns the pig farm. Yeah. So, I mean, there's certainly a, a part of that that like, there's this, I don't know, conflict of interest sort of thing or like almost well, like whistleblower sort of thing where, I mean, obviously like it happens to John Keene, like John Keene doesn't have a job anymore yeah. because, and he's an outsider. True. Outsiders don't fare very well in this town. Um, so even the first victim, like she grew up there, but she was, she was very different than the, other girls in town like yeah, she I was think, a, i didn't think so much about them coming from philadelphia that makes sense too she was a tomboy the first victim she was basically camille 2.0 right i mean mm-hmm. what you kind of learn about camille until she becomes a cheerleader which you know anyway um 
girls who don't fit in well in this town don't survive like literally and mentally and all everything right literally yeah and literally for for two of these girls uh and then the other victim was like you said (laughs) they they came from philadelphia um and had recently moved there and so john Keene, her brother becomes kind of like the the main one of the main suspects and ends up being arrested for it because they find uh, he had been staying with his girlfriend at her house. He was living like out in the the pool house or something. And they find blood there. His girlfriend flips on him and like a heartbeat. She's a, she's a interesting character that, you know, there's all these really good side characters that we just don't have a lot of time to like dive into, but there are so many amazing little characters in here. And I think, I don't know how how you feel about this, but I really think John Keane, especially in that last episode, he's a he was amazing in that last episode, and he just really had one scene the, in the interrogation. Um, I think he was like my secret uh, all star for this series because I mean you have so many amazing actors to choose from, but that last episode with him where he, you know, they're wanting him to confess to doing it, and like he just can't, and like you finally see he wouldn't he wouldn't go that far with Camille in the episode before where she was trying to get some quotes out of him and then ended up getting more, but um, I, I thought he was kind of like a unsung hero, but his girlfriend was also kind of an unsung hero for just these, the these wacky reason. characters, man, that, that are just executed so perfectly. And yeah. Jackie. I mean, Eileen, Eileen Curry, the wife of the, of the editor in chief. She's my, She's, she's my, great she's too. She's my secret yeah. all-star. Yeah. Well, and the editor is great. Like The editor's great. There's so many... He's less unsung now. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, he does actually physically arrive at the end. So let's let's get to the end, right? Because we've been talking about this for a long time. I don't want to go super long tonight. Um, well, can I ask you? Sure. Because this gets us this gets us toward the end. Okay. Um, and it's actually really interesting because speaking of HBO commercials before... HBO commercials for their own stuff before the show one of them i don't know if it played before the finale for me but it played before one of the one of the episodes six seven or eight that i watched in succession is they have this new um this new preview for their 13 true crime documentaries a lot of them which i've seen and the other ones which i will probably watch because i like those and one of them is is mommy dead and dearest have you ever heard have you watched this i haven't watched it but i heard about it in this other podcast i was telling you about. all right yeah which is basically it's, it's, the, the plot good, of the it's story. It's a good documentary. It's true story. Um, and, and you should watch it. Uh, but yes, it's about uh, a mother with Munchausen by proxy. And how, I mean, this happens at the very beginning. So this isn't really a spoiler. This is the reason to watch the documentary. But about how the girl that she is abusing um, like connects with this guy that they plot and kill her mother. And that's like the very beginning is like the interrogation between her and the police. So, wow. and then, it, but it's all about like the history that led up to that and how she came to that. And it's about like the trial and how they're going to try her. And is she even sane anymore? Was she ever sane? And did, yeah. this, did this mother really make her insane to some extent? And like how much, like how much could she almost plead self-defense to some extent? And so 
So yeah, it's really interesting. Spoilers. <laughs> it's really interesting, but I, I, I just it was crazy to me that like that was one of the previews that I had. Uh, I never, I never saw that. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't know it because I mean, in this in this preview, it's thirteen movies, so it's just like flashes of the, of the different ones. So you wouldn't know unless you'd seen it. Um, but I had seen it already, and so when when it went here, and um, Blair finds Munchausen's and Munchausen by proxy really interesting because it is really interesting, right. and she's studying psych and she takes care of psych patients so did she finish this with you so she didn't because we just weren't getting to rewatching episodes so it was my it was my fault to some you had extent. a deadline because of the podcast well it was my fault to some extent because we watched episode one together and then i was going to rewatch episode one because she did not fall asleep during episode one i did about 45 minutes in but i knew i was going to rewatch it well i rewatched it when she was out of town and episode two and three were available and when I finished it, you just had to keep going. I just kept going. And I was just like, you know, well, I'll, 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 I'm not going to have any problem rewatching them. It's just that we never found the time to do it. And like, she didn't want to do it like right before she went to bed at night. Oh yeah. Which, just, which is, is a huge mistake. Cause that's when I was watching them every night late, late on Sundays. And I would, I would have a hard time going to sleep. Ever. So, um, and that's, that's, you know, the bulk of the time that we have to watch stuff together is after the kids are in bed. So we would watch, you know, World of Dance or Making It instead of Sharp Objects. Slightly happier. Slightly happier, just a little bit. Um, so we never, so she, she eventually just said, you know, I mean, you just go on, go on and watch it without me. And, uh, but I, I told her today, hey, I finished it and you're going to love it. And I'm totally ever watching it again. <laughs> so no problem there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's, let's dive into to the ending. So Detective Dick during his investigation, which by the way, he's like an FBI, FBI agent from Kansas city comes down to help with the investigation. Oh, another character that we haven't talked about is the, the chief of police there. I'm trying to remember his name because he was Vickery. great. Vickery. Yeah. I thought he was great too. Um, although it's like everybody's culpable basically at the end. And he, he definitely is culpable what? to some degree. What, is, what has he been up to? Well, there's there's something going on between him is and Adora, he, right? Yeah, and I I was just I was just searching and seeing stuff pop up on Google, and I feel like some people have theories that, that he's, he's Camille's father. Father, yeah, he's yeah. he's one of these girls, either fathers. Camille or Marion. certainly possible. I don't think I don't think from what I heard on these podcasts in the book, there's no like real hint of a relationship between him and Adora, but certainly mm. in the show, they lean Ooh. into that very heavily. Alan certainly thinks so. <laughs> yeah, he does. Right. And that's one of the few things he will say anything about actually, yeah. which is interesting. And they kind of gave Alan a little bit more of a spine than they did in the book from what I understand as well, because there are times when he does speak what? up and kind of randomly, it seems like it seems out yeah. of character sometimes. Except for then he's just like, well, that's your thing. All right. Yeah. Tinctures, just, you know, I'm sure that stuff is safe. Oh that God. scene, that scene where she is mixing stuff with all these beakers and colors. She's a witch. Is creepy. She's a straight Whoa. on witch, man, with her potions. Man. Um. So, yeah. So here's and what then, we To find out the stuff that she's mixing. I mean, like antifreeze and. Like rat poison, I think rat, was one of poison. them. Rat poison. I'm forgetting all the rest of them, but. It's terrible. No joke. So this is what Detective uh, Richard finds out as he's supposed to be investigating the murders in Wind Gap. He kind of detours and starts investigating Camille, right? They they have a little bit of a fling, um, which that's a whole other thing. We just don't have time to get into. But um, 
he kind of shifts his detective work to her, right? And trying to find out well, like what happened to her. And he finds out about her and, and Alice in the, uh, the rehab center. But then he starts to become suspicious of Adora. I, I don't really remember what tips him off, but probably just meeting her because she's uh, a monster. He, he goes... <sighs> she gives him the tour. He, well... Yeah, he's in the tour. She's got that ivory floor, <laughs> which we'll get back to. Um, but he he gets uh Marion's medical records before he ever gets Camille's, right? Yes. And I don't remember exactly exactly why that was. Um, I think I think Jackie tips him off to it, maybe. Yeah, yeah, possibly so. So Detective Richard, he he somehow gets tipped off. I think it was Jackie gets tipped off to the fact that um, and so much so that he goes and pulls medical records. He talks to I, I don't know if she was a nurse or what that that worked there at the time mm-hmm. that has been outcast uh, by this town um, that essentially Marion was poisoned and for like years and people knew about it like this nurse had tried to to make it known um, and was just kind of shut out uh, and then come to find out based on previous people who had accessed these records, Jackie also knew about it. Um, well, so I hadn't, ja- hadn't Jackie had made requests for records and been denied every time. Oh, maybe that was, the and case. that's actually what he gets is all these denials I believe. And then, okay. But then the nurse tells him this is basically why they were denying it, what they were denying. They were trying to cover it you up. You know, she implies okay. these but, sort of things. But then he does actually get the records because he leaves a copy of the files to Camille after. Well, no, so he, he leaves the denials for Camille. Because oh, Camille denial? goes okay. and confronts Jackie and says, what, what was it that you knew about that made you request these records okay. and be denied? That makes more sense. I just was, I guess I was reading those scenes wrong. Yeah. So that kind of makes way more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's, he thinks he knows what happened, I guess. Right. And so he's going to give this stuff to Camille. He ends up, you know, running into her at the worst possible time ever because her and John Keane have a little side <sighs> That's gig, an understatement. which again, I wish I had more time to talk about a lot of these things because like, we got time. Basically, the first person she's ever truly intimate with is kind of how I read that, right? I mean, she does, she does have sex with with Detective Dick at one point, but you know, she it she doesn't reveal anything, right? She doesn't want him to know about right about all the, the scars. Saying, yeah. But with John Keane, she's just you know fully. Intimate yep. with him. They they have this horrible commonality yeah, between sh- them. You know, both people and that have actually more common than she, than even, she knows. even knows at that point, right? And that he even knows. Yeah. Yeah, because they've both lost sisters. Um and after that, Detective Richard says some really horrible things to Camille. Um, you know, because he's obviously hurt because they had something going on and, and all this stuff. Um, but he does leave her the files, right? He leaves it in her car. Um, so I don't know. He basically just reads her the riot act, right? Of like, why don't, why, why, I don't know. Basically, like, why can't you just stop screwing up your life over and over again? 
Yeah, I mean, but and, that's kind of the crux of this whole thing, right? Is where where is she responsible, right? Like ultimately that's kind of a weird conversation to have, right? Like where does she become responsible for her behavior and where doesn't she, you know, like there's a really fine line between these acts of self harm that she does in various different ways. Right. And this is, this is kind of an act of self harm. (laughs) Like why would she be with this person who is a prime suspect in these murders? I mean, this is like a whole other level of, of a self inflicting action that she's, taking but yeah i mean that's like to me when i when i think about when i've kind of gave up on camille it wasn't it was before that even happened but i could see how people would give up on her thinking well she's ultimately she's responsible for the things she does after she gets you know there's a line right there's a line somewhere but where is that line for me i kind of gave up on her because i was just so sad that i just knew she was never going to have a happy ending um, but I could kind of understand why detective Richard was so, so harsh with her because I'm, I'm sure like he, you know, he, he felt like, what are you doing? But maybe he could have delivered it, you know, in in a better way. Um, but ultimately he does leave the files for her to kind of let her go on her own path of trying to discover, which now it makes sense why she goes to Jackie, like what you said, they didn't get access to the actual records. They just got the, the, the proof of denials. Right. So she goes to Jackie and, uh, Jackie all but confirms that, you know, she suspected that Adora had been poisoning, uh, Marion. And you even get flashbacks that Adora had tried to do the same thing with Camille, but Camille just Camille was the worst thing for Adora because Camille was so independent. She didn't want, she, she just didn't want that kind of nurturing relationship. Well, which became this cycle of why these two people, why Adora didn't love her. And then why Camille would just constantly be wanting to have that love, but rejecting it. Like it it just becomes this vicious cycle, right? Is she, she naturally would push, Adora away and it kind of saved her life as a younger child, I would say, because Adora eventually just moves on to Marion. And I guess Marion was a little more compliant. And what, what you come to find out about Adora is that she has Munchausen's by proxy where, and I don't really fully understand it, but I mean, maybe you can explain it a little better, but basically like you're keeping other people sick so that they need you. And because you have this, I mean, it's a mental illness. It's not like, I mean, she is a horrible person, but she's also mentally ill, um, where she keeps kept Marion sick enough to where she would still need her and kind of stay in this perpetual state of being a child. And then you see that she's playing out this same story with Emma. Is that a, is that a decent way to describe what's happening? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, as far as I know, like basically, like Munchausen straight up, not by proxy, but Munchausen straight up is like, I'm going to make myself in need so that I'm being taken care of by others. Okay, maybe that's right. Certainly, Munchausen's by proxy is that I'm going to make others 
need me so that I'm needed yes. so that I can take care of them. And I mean, the, the natural way that happens is through child abuse that then makes the child need someone and you make sure the child has no one <laughs> that can help them except for you, the one who made them need someone. And it's just this vicious in every you know, sense of the word cycle. Yeah. So Adora's method is poisoning her children so that they're just sick enough that they need someone to take care of them. Right. And it just seems like at at some point she like doesn't toe that line. Right. And then they die. You know, I mean like that kind of seems like what happened to Marion is like you give her enough. You like you give her, you know, force, health problems on her with poison mm-hmm. and at, at some point you know you just you kill yeah the, the body the body can't take anymore and so um it, it's crazy to me it's really interesting how adora at one point it's the calhoun day episode i guess that's episode five where she she tells uh camille that she's so much like her father and that's the problem with her then I want to say it's episode seven where she says that she that she's too they're much like, like Adora other. and yeah. they're like each other. And really, like both are true in some yeah. way, but very much like both are true in this diabolical combination in that Camille wants wants to control and she wants to control and and be in need of control as well. That if there's going to be harm to be done, like she's going to be the one that does it, is where is where she ultimately comes to. And so, uh, and even at the end, she's you know when she basically takes custody of Emma, at the end, she's even questioning like her desire to have a relationship with Emma. Is it because she has the same illness as Adora? Like she mm-hmm. she's even or is it kindness? Yeah, she's even struggling with that at the end. So the way this plays out, final episode. You know, armed with this information, Camille goes back home. She realizes that uh, Adora has been doing the same thing to Emma, and um, basically, she kind of takes takes the fall for Emma, and and you know, kind of sets a trap for Adora in in a way to try and give Emma time to get out and get help. So she, you know, plays the victim and and you know, oh, mama, I need you, all this stuff. And starts taking on the the elixir pretty heavily, um, and way too much, way too fast. And she hasn't. They even say at the end that you know, like Emma had kind of built a resistance to it because mm-hmm. it was small doses over time. But Camille just takes it heavy uh, in this one night. Uh, luckily, you know, Emma doesn't get out and doesn't go get help, which you know maybe that was on purpose we're not quite sure exactly Hmm. um i mean she does kind of get stopped by alan but um eventually detective richard comes out for some reason i don't really know why um luckily she had had a conversation with her editor before she went to the house so her editor knew like something's not right and she even says i've got to stop this Mm -hmm. and you know so he knows something's not right he ends up coming to the rescue along with detective Richard. They get him out in the nick of time. I mean, like she's literally dying on the floor, right. And having all these flashbacks to her, her younger self. 
she gets rescued. The detectives come in, they start searching the house. Um, they end up finding the, uh, a pair of pliers, which we haven't talked about this at all. So the, the, the strange thing with the girls in a, you know, in addition to being killed, uh, the, the killers were pulling the teeth out, which was like, I mean, that's just horrible all in itself. Right. But they even so much, they tried to throw you off the scent with the teeth because they were, they come out and say at one point, like, I think it's detective Richard. He's like, only a man could do this. Like the, the amount of strength it would take to pull teeth out and just like the pure adrenaline or rage or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they make you think, Oh, it's gotta be a man. And, uh, I really thought, okay, towards the end, you know, basically at the end of episode seven, I thought, okay, Adora did this because she was close to these girls. They, they say that, that she was close to both of these girls. So maybe she was trying to run the same type of thing uh, Mm -hmm. with them. Um, I was thinking it was Adora and Alan in cahoots somehow. Right doing this because I thought there's no way that Adora could pull the teeth out. So so there's gotta be a man involved somewhere. Like I just hook line and sinker fell for that, for that. Yeah. Which in retrospect, yeah, they're just trying to throw you off of, of what was really happening there. Um, so that's horrible, but they find the pliers, they take Adora to jail and they kind of do this montage and Emma moves in with Camille. They go back to St. Louis uh, Adora gets tried. You don't really get a whole lot of information here, but but basically, she, you know, I, I think she confesses, right? Or did, I can't remember exactly if if she confessed or not. Uh, well, <laughs> she keeps just saying, "Well, Camille's mentally ill, so you can't basically you can't believe anything she says." Yeah, um, Which- <laughs> she just keep keeps telling him. That that's when they come in. Yeah. Right. right at first. I'm just talking afterwards. I, I don't remember if they say that she confessed to the murders because no, she takes the, the fall for the, them. This, this is when like you get like the musical montage. Right. And during the musical montage, we, we're to that point. Right. Mm-hmm. So the musical montage, you see her taken away. You see a, um, a Camille and Emma back in um, in St. Louis now in Camille's place and then you see uh they go visit uh Adora in prison and no 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 I'm sorry before that you see uh Adora pleads not guilty oh, okay but that's she pled worth. not guilty but then like two 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 images of the montage later she's in orange in the yeah. um in in the penitentiary and Emma and Camille just waits outside while Emma goes and visits um, her mom in inside the prison and, and then comes out. But she, she takes the fall basically. Like yeah. she says she's not guilty. She says but she's not guilty, but, but she doesn't, she doesn't out like we don't really. So, I mean, we don't know for sure that she knows. Well, let's just, let's just get to it. Right. Okay. So she is in prison for the murders whether she's guilty of them or not. Yeah. Um, you know, we flash ahead a little bit. Camille and Emma are living together in St. Louis. They're having dinner with uh, the editor and Eileen and, um, Emma has a new friend and, uh, they're all at the table. 
And uh, apparently Amos' new friend is likes Camille, like wants to be a, a, a reporter like Camille. And this throws off some some red flags because Amma becomes very um, kind of verbally abusive to her friend at the table, much like she was verbally abusive a lot to her, her two friends back in Wind Gap that they were always together, right? Like, you know, you never saw one without out the other until, until Amma was sick at the end. Uh, and like everyone at the table is kind of unsettled by this, but they just don't, you know, they don't think too much of it. Just, you know, friends being friends and having fights or whatever. Uh, the next day, uh, the mother of the friend comes to Camille and is like, Hey, I haven't seen my daughter. I think they had a fight last night. You know, if you see her, let me know type deal. Um, Camille's like, all right. Yeah. Camille goes, throw something in the trash can and she sees a little, uh, blanket. I mean, it's like a miniature blanket. We haven't even talked about the dollhouse at all, really, which is, plays such a huge role here at the end. Um, there's this huge replica dollhouse. It's a replica of Adora's house. And all I, I guess like all Emma's life, she's had this dollhouse and has been keeping it up and, and making it, you know, just right as part of her whole, you know, crazy play with Adora, right? Of being a, a, a baby forever, weird stuff, right? <laughs> but it's an intricate dollhouse. Incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, it's amazing. Uh, so what Camille finds in the trash is, turns out to be like the blanket for Amma's bed in her dollhouse. I mean, it's like made to look exactly like Amma's real blanket. So that she thinks that's weird. She pulls it out. She's going to take it back and put it, on the uh, and it's see okay so at this point it seems really it just seems really weird to me that they took the dollhouse oh well and they, they show them going back for it right right and i mean like I, I i quickly explained it in my mind to the extent that like emma had invested all this time she really enjoys creating the dollhouse and making it as incredible She's as very protective of the dollhouse. <laughs> and you you see it kind of in retrospect. You think back at times when people tried to touch it and she gets very protective of it. So flashback to where we are at the very end. Camille takes the blanket back, puts it on the bed, and she sees something kind of sticking out underneath the bed. Uh, Amma's bed in the dollhouse, not like the real bed. And she kind of reaches down there, pulls it out. It's a tooth. And then she kind of pushes. Uh, I don't know if it's even Amma's room necessarily because the room in the house that had the uh, ivory floor, that wasn't Amma's room. That was that was the master, the master bedroom. Yeah. And in fact, I, I was just reading this, that... That's the room that Camille is finally let into when she comes back and just succumbs to what her mom wants to do, just taking care of her. Like then she's allowed to come in to that to that master bedroom. So creepy. Because now you're playing the game. Yeah. Now you get to come into the uh, sacred room. So I don't know. Was it was it the same way in the dollhouse, or was it Emma's room in the dollhouse? It doesn't really matter, but. Basically, well, it matters. I'm I'm, going to look it up, but I'm not sure. Basically, what we find out is that 
Emma has recreated the ivory floor in the dollhouse with teeth of her two victims who were the two girls in Wind Gap who were murdered. Um, I'm getting chills right now. All of this ha- happening. I mean, Camille's having this horrible realization, right? And as she's putting these pieces together, you see behind her, Emma walks into the door frame and Camille looks at her and is just horrified. And Emma says, don't tell mama. And that's it. That's the end of sharp objects. Now there is a very, very brief two extra scenes, which I'm hoping you watched all the way through and, and saw them because they're kind of mid credits. And then uh, at the very end, post credits, kind of a Marvel esque, <laughs> but horrible. Um, you get these incredibly fast, uh, just bunch of scenes shoved together, real quick cuts of basically the, the two murders. So you, you come to realize that it was Emma and her two friends had, had murdered both of these girls and you get a glimpse that Emma had just murdered uh, her new friend as well by herself, uh, assumedly. And uh, then at the very end, you get the glimpse of Emma dressed in the, the woman in white in the woods, which kind of comes up from one of the, uh, an unreliable witness early on in the show says that he saw his, his uh, sister mm-hmm. who was the first victim or something like that, or he just happened to witness it. I don't think it was his sister uh, was led into the woods by a woman in white who Camille thought was Adora because Adora used to wear white when she would uh, nurse uh, Marion, I guess was the flashback that we saw, mm. which just so creepy, but yeah, that's uh, that's where we end. We find out that Emma and her friends were the, uh, the real killers. And, um, so just like, just like Adora has her sickness and, and it gets passed down to Camille and uh, it also got passed down to Emma, although Emma's was a, a different type of, of violence, um, a lot more raw and intense than what Adora was doing. But yeah, that's, that's sharp objects for you. That's, uh, and I, I want more, right? Like, obviously I want to know what happens next. I want to know, you know, does, is there some altercation between them? You know, does, does Camille turn her in? Like at this point with like where Camille's at, she's finally in a somewhat better state. She wants so much to have this relationship with her sister. Like I could see maybe a scenario where she doesn't turn her in, but mm. I, I don't think that's how it would go, but I could see how, you know, just in her state, she might, might go that route. Um, what happens to Adora? Like she's still guilty of killing her daughter, but she's not guilty of killing, you know, these two other girls. And there's just a lot of questions that we don't really get answers to. And I'm assuming maybe there are answers in the book. I haven't really dug into that too much, but, um, it was quite the way to end it on uh, on such a. It's a cliffhanger, but it's not really a cliffhanger because <laughs> you get the full resolution of, you know, who done it. But it was quite a way to end with a, a sharp exclamation point. What What do you think, man? What were your first thoughts? I. It was. It was just such a a turn because 
kind of kind of like you shared um you know about about the end of episode 7 you know got uh, uh you know Richard's got the denials of things he's, he's kind of proven that Adora is is abusing children and killed Marion in this way and almost appears to begin killing Emma in that way. And then Camille comes in and she's doing that to her. And so it was, I mean, just incredibly done. It's just so well-crafted that they just really gave you, like there was this enormous amount of confusion throughout Mm -hmm. Um, this enormous amount of misdirection of misdirection and, and almost making you like unsatisfied with where they kept taking the show because it seemed like they kept taking it away from really solving this mystery. In fact, I mean, it's, it's weird because they, they, there's really just not that many scenes with, uh, John, what's his last name? John, oh, John Keane. John Keane. There's not that many scenes with John Keane, and he's really not fleshed out that much. And I, I, I kind of very much felt like if it's him, that's really disappointing because we don't even know like that much about him. Like he's supposed to be like some sensitive guy that like doesn't like the town because this town is not Philadelphia, yeah. obviously. And we're supposed to believe that, you know, for kind of all the reasons that he lays out when he tells Camille, like, you know, I can tell stories too, which I think was a great yeah. scene. Yeah. Which is great dialogue because there is a second to where you're like, wait, is he like, just like confessing? Did he really like, do it? Yeah. He's just like, you know, alcoholed up and like just had it with, you know, keeping this bottled up. And, well, then, he, and, and then he has that great line of just like, listen, like if you want a great story, like you obviously can, can write a story. They could put me away. Right. I mean, this town is going to put whoever they want away for this because obviously the town is not going to allow these murders to be go unsolved, right? Somebody's going to have to pay for this rightly or wrongly. And an outsider know? is a perfect person to take the fall because they don't want to, they obviously don't want to convict their own as no, we see right? with Adora. I mean, Vickery is never going to even, I mean, what he tells uh, Kansas city that like you need basically to, solve this murder and then get out of town. Like don't before you quit, figure out other quit stuff, wasting yeah. time. Well, yeah, I mean, that, he doesn't say that, but he's just like, don't go, you know, investigating this girl that you're interested in now. Like that's not what you're here for, you know? So leave that, that I like, yeah, that family's crazy, but that's not what you're here for. <laughs> like, don't go digging up our stuff, you know, do what you were called here to do. We're going to go arrest this guy. We're done. Now leave, you know, you've, you've done what you came here to do. I don't want you here any longer, you know? Um, and so it's, it's, it's wild to me though, that like it, there's all this misdirection, but then there's just a, a good amount of time that they give you to invest in Adora and why she would be the murderer of these girls. Mm -hmm. And like, after you know that they just keep adding more and more reasons and more and more evidence as to why it would have been her and must have been her and makes total sense that it was her. And, and, and so by the end, like, I mean, being the last line 
Like you won't, you're almost just kind of ex and, and, and this dinner even, I mean, it's like this exhale moment. I think that montage is like this exhale moment yeah, of like, okay, clear. so like we figured it out and it makes sense, you know, like they've answered quite a bit, you know, not everything, but there's quite a bit that's been answered. They've really, you know, stacked their claims up and given us evidence to believe that this is a, you know, cause I mean, it always feels to me like with fiction, Whatever claim you end up making can obviously be it because it's fiction. It, it, could, it could be whatever you want it to be, you know, but it always feels a lot more authentic when you, you really back up what your fictional claim suspect is with, with really good evidence and not just coincidentally, it happened to be this person. Like that's, that's terrible. Yeah. When it happens like, yeah, it could happen that way, but that's a totally balderdash story. You know, give me something that's more believable. Uh, there was totally believable. And they just kept going with the believableness of Adora, Adora yeah. of Adora being being the murderer of the girls. And so you have this exhale moment of the montage. You have this exhale moment of them. They're in their apartment. They're in St. Louis. Like Emma's away from the town. Like Emma's going to rehabilitate. You know, have a, have a chance at rehabilitation. Like Camille has. I mean, Camille has this great writing now. Um, you know, like her career is kind of getting on track. You feel like that's going to help her like get on track herself. And she has somebody to take care of now. And like, not finally going to have not that, sister, that sister relationship that she, you know, missed out on because of what happened to Marion. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what happened to Alice as well. So, so that, that's, that to me is where you are, where you are when there is 75 seconds left. Yeah. In the gosh darn freaking show. <laughs> and then it just all and unravels. So then she finds this blanket. And it's just like, there's 65 seconds left. Like, what? <laughs> what is what going are on? You, what are you doing? You know? And. And yeah, I mean. <laughs> and just the. I mean, just the. The teeth floor is it's horrifying. So horrifying. She's a serial killer. Like th- those are her right. those are her uh, trophies. Right. And but it's just it all comes at once and it's just credit. Yeah, and it's done. Yeah. It's just cr- I mean just and, and then you have to have a 2 hour long podcast to process it. <laughs> and I haven't had any of this, right? Like I finished this like earlier today, yeah. right? I mean so I haven't had that time. I haven't done like the reading. I haven't like rewatched all the, all the little snippets that HBO gives you from, from the director. And were you ever suspicious of Emma throughout in any, in any significant way? You said it earlier. You just kind of thought she was just rebellious teenager. At the beginning. Absolutely. Right. But the, the, the longer it goes on, um, And so I listened to, so I listened to Reconcilable Differences. Did they talk about it? Now, so they came out with their episode today. I'm, and I, I'm still I, too behind. On and it. I, I assume that they talked about it in the episode they came out with today. Because I think that, yeah, I think two weeks ago was after the finale came out. I mean, they're always a little behind. They're, they're releasing and recording schedules. Always a little interesting. But the episode before this one that came out today, I think there were only seven episodes out. and. Even at that point, though, 
Merlin just made like one single comment, you know, no, no spoilers. And it wasn't a spoiler, especially you didn't know it was, but just about like how just messed up Emma is, you know, and just like how incredible, like just wild she is as a character, yeah. you know, um, horrifying. Absolutely. Right. Kept me on edge. Every scene she was in. nearly positive that, that, that was said seven episodes in the finale was not out mm-hmm. yet. Right. And yeah, I mean, you can, that's obvious. That's a, that's a credible statement to make seven episodes. And that was a credible yeah. statement to make at, Two any, episodes at any point yeah. <laughs> during the whole series. So, uh, I mean, but that, that comment just kind of like stuck in my head and, and it just, you, you always had to be, she was just, she was suspicious, you know, I, and just I'll, how different she could be, you know? Yeah. Um, cause sometimes she would almost just like, convince you to some extent that she's just like a normal girl just she can play by the rules and she just doesn't want to now but she's not like gonna a murderer yeah i never i never thought she did it but i thought she knew who had done it yeah and and you know things like her running away during calhoun day like that kind of made me just the way she was acting it, it made me feel like she knew who had done it and the way she would taunt especially john Keane, like there's weird scenes between mm-hmm. the two of them. Um, I just always felt like she knew who, who had done it, but I didn't feel like she was involved. Right. Her taunting of John Keane just reminds me so much of, <laughs> of Donald Trump's, like, you're the puppet. <laughs> oh, Hillary Clinton. I'm just, <laughs> that's the first thing that pops to mind. It's just like his incredible deflection. Um, it's, just, it's just like, I mean, I think that's one of the things that will be gleaned from a rewatch it's just like everything that Emma accuses others of, you know, is all because, you know, I mean, that's not, that's not unique. It's just extremified. Yeah. And, and well, and the other thing about Trump, so. when, when Camille came into the room, she noticed that a doll was sitting in the window, just yeah. like how the second. Yeah. Victim- that, didn't, that didn't hit me at first. It hit me on. Well, it hit me because in the post credit scene with the director and with the author, yeah. um, Detective and with, Richard and with some of the actors says something about it's set up like a, like she was set up like a doll. He even says that. Yes, he yeah. does say that. And when he says that, they show the, the ground floor window with the dead girl in it. And then they immediately show the dollhouse. And so it was like, wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like there is There's so a lot of breadcrumbs to if, it. Yeah. If we go back and watch Man. it, I'm sure it's obviously it'll be obvious now. Cause we know, yeah. but I'm, I don't understand. There, there seems to be a lot of significance with the train and the train tracks. And I don't understand where that comes from because so often when there's flashbacks to there's flashbacks that remind her of Marion being dead, there's always like the, the train, uh, bell signals and there's the the uh white figure in white that she sees in the in the caboose that's just parked there yeah on the train tracks i, I never really you know they roller skate over these train tracks just like over and over and over again i i don't really yet understand the significance of that do you think adora knew that's the other big question i, I walked that's away with the the director in one of those podcasts he he said he didn't play it that way like he didn't direct it that way and that um that Patricia Clarkson didn't 
didn't act it that way. Mm-hmm. But I mean, she knows that she didn't do it, but the pliers were in the house. So like, it's true. And there's certainly enough evidence to make you think that she knew that Emma was up to something because she was always trying to keep her, but you just kind of play that off as, Oh, that's just her illness. She wants her to stay in. She's, she just wants her for herself. She's not trying to protect her from, you know, being caught, but I don't know, man. Like she had to have, she had to have put it together. You would she think. has this incredibly weird, and I think she just like pushes this to the extreme in this case, but this plausible deniability of Emma and like whatever she goes and does because like she'll make these like tiny little comments to her when she comes back and like ultimately like finds out she has this other cell phone and just like slyly is like, no, 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 like the other one, you know? Um, but she, it feels like she's almost very, very much. So actually when I think about it, she's accepted that like you can do whatever you want out there. As long as when you come back, you're mine, you're mine. And I just take care of you in the way that, you know, I'm prayfully doing so, you know? So as long as you will play my game 50% of the time, like you can do whatever else you want with the other 50%. And I don't need to know anything about it. As long as what you do out there doesn't affect what I get to do in here, then that's fine by me. You know, the, the problem with Camille is that what she did out there did affect you know, and just like the whole way of her being really affected, you know, her not just accepting um, what Adora wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So it's just it, basically like you can rebel as long as you're not rebelling against me, right? In, in my time and in my house, if you're not rebelling then, then you can rebel to the point of murder, <laughs> outside of here you know so i also don't understand uh natalie's blood being at the that's where they i guess that's, that's where, where they, they did killed it. her okay yeah. yeah there's the flash of that okay yeah you get that and so then the you also end. then have i mean that's one reason why you have ashley girlfriend of john Keane, framing him because and and wanting well, to she she finds the blood and cleans it up. Yeah. Oh yes yes yes. Yeah. But then once, you know, once the detectives are heavier on his case, you know, she kind of flips because she wants attention basically. Yeah, but that's certainly how it's played, right? I mean, but she's almost she's almost being that typical criminal that goes right back to the scene of the crime. Well, and, and another thing that is important to point out about that is her sister was one of Emma's friends that that's why it happened there. Cause she is, Cause she's older than Emma. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So her younger sister lives there and that's where they were playing with that girl and then mm-hmm. ultimately did it. But you don't, it's kind of hard to pick up on some of that, but that's why they're always there at the sense. pool. Yeah. You know, like when they have those scenes there. That's so weird. It's kind of, it's, they don't stress it a lot, but that's, that's the connection. There. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I want to watch it again, but I just don't know if I can. Cause it, 
it was visually one of the most disturbing shows. And I don't mean that in like a, like it wasn't a blood and gore thing. Like just the way it was edited, it, it just had me on edge all the time. And I, I kind of am attracted to shows like that because something's wrong with me. I guess I don't really know why, but like, I love shows that stress me out, you know, like breaking Bad's a great example of that. Um, this show, it just really unnerved me. I mean, and, and plenty of reasons why, as, right. you, as you find out at the end, I mean, there's just, so it is just, it's an incredibly unnerving, uncomfortable, stressful, show and not really there there are a few moments of suspense but usually usually that's how you get too uncomfortable and stressful and unnerving is with a whole lot of suspense and with a whole lot of like real real danger around the corner maybe sometimes you know some corners there's danger some corners are not you just never know and this is is very much there's just all this like emotional turmoil around any which corner and it, it's it's not like it it doesn't it's not served in the same way but it comes out that same way um you know there, there's not the suspense that usually leads to the unnerving but there's the unnerving without the suspense and that's almost like makes it even more unnerving mm. is because it just feels like why is this so unnerving it just <laughs> doesn't feel like it should be this unnerving and yet it is um, yeah, I, I feel like, I mean, I feel like it would definitely be less so on a second viewing, but I don't know. Yeah. I think, you know, it's obviously a show that is centered around these female relationships, right? Mother, daughter, um, sister relationships. And, and really the, the men in the show are kind of like... I mean, specifically Alan, is that it? Or am I saying it? I keep yes. getting Alan and Henry yes, confused. So, Alan. so Alan, you know, he's just like this spineless <sighs> nobody, you know, he had to have known what was happening and he just did nothing about it. And that makes him a horrible person. Right. But, um, it's, it's definitely a show told from a female perspective. So, you know, like personally, what I take away from it is, it's weird for me to say like, Oh, I, I can relate, you know, this really wasn't a show created for me, but I think what I do take away from this show is just thinking about like what you don't deal with and what you don't get fixed. Like it just gets handed down, you know, to your kids and then it gets handed down to their kids and it just keeps going. And so I'm just like, some, you know, you got to put an end to this stuff. Like you got to get help or you got to do whatever it takes to fix these things, or it's just going to continue in this, this awful cycle. So that's kind of as a, as a male watching a very female dominant show, that's, that's kind of the, the thing I'm pulling away from this very unnerving, but can't look away show. <laughs> so I, uh, Looking back at my notes here, I wish I would have taken notes throughout because like one of my notes is, uh, I just written down Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde because Adora felt that way to me. Emma felt that way to me. 
that was even way truer than I knew that it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, but actually, like I wrote that about Adora. But then when I got to the end, like yeah, it's about Adora, but it's about Emma. It's about like it's about Camille. Like there's so so many fo- folks here that are that are that way. I mean, it, so I also there were a couple of uh, choice subtitles. Okay. We talked about subtitles last week. Yeah. So uh, when they have the creepiest dinner ever at the beginning of episode eight and Emma has like her flower hat on and she's Persephone, goddess of the underworld. And, uh, and they're talking about John Keen getting arrested, being the guilty party what's going to happen to him and uh and alan says well i I did hear that missouri is the fifth most productive state for lethal injections and it was it was interesting because the subtitle was fifth most productive and then the next subtitle is state for lethal injections and just that that word productive partnered with lethal injections just like really really just stuck out to me. It was just this, this, again, just like this, this juxtaposition of like, I mean, I guess that's one thing you can reduce is like death, you know? I mean, that's one thing to lead, you know, be top five in. Well, it's definitely what Adora is doing. Certainly. Right. I mean, that ties in in so many ways. And then when, uh, when the, uh, Richard, the detective, uh, comes in, after they've rescued them from the house and they've taken them to the hospital and he comes in and is talking to them and is actually talking to them about what, what they found um, that, that Adora was hiding and what she was using to, to sicken, you know, them and, and Marion. Um, when he says, you know, they, they found her medicine medicines in quotation marks on the subtitle, which I thought was just gold. That's just like a great little tidbit that you get. Only if you turn on the subtitles. Right. Yeah. So in my in my uh in my searching while I was listening to you and your commentary, I found that one of the potential reasons for not having a season two is that Amy Adams is not incredibly keen on continuing to play this character. Oh yeah. Um and I don't believe that anyone can blame her. No. It's gotta be really difficult to to do. And to, and, and um, Chris Messina, who plays uh, Detective Richard, uh, in one of these the episodes of that's still watching that I was telling you about, um, he even talks about that. Like, there were times on set where you know she would be in such a dark place that it was very difficult during breaks, you know, between like resetting or whatever, to you know come out of that. If you were just gonna have to go right back into it. Um, but then other times when they'd be shooting stuff, you know, she'd be just really goofy and friendly. Um, but yeah, that, well, and there's nothing left to tell. I mean, like there's maybe, like I said, I would love to have an epilogue that tells me like where everybody ends up after this enormous revelation that we end on. But I don't know. I mean, there's, there's nothing left to tell. This is a, that's why I say that this mini mini series medium was like, to me, the perfect way to handle a book, because you always hear people say like, oh, the the movie's never as good as the book or yeah. 
Um, you know, they have to cut so much out. Like and you were talking about that, right? With Gone Girl, which turned out to be kind of a good thing for that that book. Now, Gone Girl was a solid two and a half hours. I will say that. Yeah. So, I mean, that that does happen more often. Like, like longer movies are more acceptable, seems than they used to be. They're just more. They're more. I mean, I guess part of that is that it used to be that. I don't basically when you went past two hours, you were just about off of a VHS. Like you were just about in two VHS territory, yeah. right? And so, you know, that, that was a that was a that was a tough tough uh tough point to, to cross, you know, because you were you were gonna have to make sure that every single bit of that footage that you included after two hours was absolutely needed because you just made this twice, you know, twice the movie to sell and and all that sort of thing. Um but yeah, it just seems like, you know, it's not as unexpected um, as, as it used to be to have a have a two and a half hour movie. So, but still, there there wouldn't have been, like this this whole episode, you know, maybe even an episode and a half of investment that you got into Adora being the, the suspect and the, and the, and the guilty suspect like what that would have been like 10 or 12 minutes in a movie oh yeah and that i mean that wouldn't have been the same at all you know so i mean it all just has to be speed sped up and and that was that ended up being just one of the great great parts of sharp objects was how the times that you thought were slow and revealing things that didn't have anything to do with this mystery we're trying to solve just reared their ugly head, you know, yeah. so truthfully and so pertinently, you know, as you got closer and closer to We're the crucial end. to the bigger mystery that was still connected to the original mystery. It that, was all one, yeah. right? I mean, it, there really wasn't the separation that there appeared to be. And what's crazy is a whole lot of time was wasted with <laughs> John Keane yeah. and with the, the father of, the, the first, first girl, girl yeah. that was that was killed. So it's like what appeared to be the only fruitful moments of investigation were actually a complete waste of time. And can we talk about how incredibly screwed up Calhoun Day is? Wow. <laughs> like what what is going on with that? I mean, they they basically celebrate and reenact they're one of their founders daughters being raped by the North, like in the civil war. I, and this is a, this is an event that this town comes and celebrates. Has their teenagers reenact. It's so At the Calhoun day. I got, I have the perfect uh, antidote for this poisonous show that we just watched. All right. And that is that you should go back to season one of The Office and watch, I think it's the last episode of season one. So episode six, New Girl, <laughs> where Amy Adams is a purse salesman and comes to uh, comes to Dunder Mifflin and sets up in the conference room and starts selling some purses. So see some happy Amy I don't Adams. I don't think I remember this. What? You don't remember this? I don't know that I do. Oh, is, man. Yeah. Which is... Uh, a shame. She plays, yeah, she comes in and sells purses. They end up selling a purse to Dwight, which is amazing. 
Uh, and then she becomes Jim's girlfriend for like a little bit. Kind of goes into season two even. You don't remember this? I don't. Oh, man. Well, that's that's your palate cleanser. I guess so. To, <laughs> to uh, come back down from all of this unease and just watch something really funny and, and watch Michael at his typical just most obnoxious and unnerving. He, he's kind of unnerving in that episode uh, where he's basically, you know, trying to trying to get with her. Ah, uh, uh, hot, hot girl, hot girl, not yeah. new girl. Okay, okay. Yeah. okay. Amy Adams. That's a all right, all right. That's a good. It's a good chaser. 